0: Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 815, 945, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Would you please uh, join me in your Bibles in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. As we make our way this year through the Gospel of John, uh, we're going to be in uh, the first 12 verses of, of, this, of the second chapter. And as you're turning there and uh, over in the sanctuary here in Baker, maybe you're at home or watching online, grab a Bible and let's really dig into the Word. But as, as we do this, I, I just want to say if you were here in, uh, in our services, uh, I say that for folks that are online. Um, we celebrated the fact that 130 uh, middle school, high school students and leaders went away uh, a couple weekends ago to an event where they were challenged to love Jesus. And um, I love being a part of a church where we see students and, and, and adults coming together to focus on Christ, because I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is the hope of this world. He is, without there is no other hope. I understand that there's going to be responses, governmental responses, are you know a lot of, a lot of this and that that we're going to hear on the news. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is the hope of this world for the next generation, and to hear about 40. High school students, middle school students making significant commitments to deepen their walk with Christ, five or six of those choosing to follow Christ through baptism, that just blesses my heart. And then to have, uh, you know, 30 to 40 uh, younger folks here singing out, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God, uh, that just, um, I love being a part of a church that, uh, that where those things are happening. So thanks be to God. Let's look at John chapter 2. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he, the master of the ceremony or of the banquet, called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much wine to drink. They don't know better. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which He revealed His glory. And His disciples believed in Him. After this, He went down to Capernaum with His mother and brothers and His disciples. And there they stayed for a few days. There's a lot going on in this simple Little story. First of all, there's just some questions. I don't know, did you have any questions as you kind of read through that? Questions like, if this is the third day, when was the first day? Right? Or whose wedding is this? How is it that Jesus is invited? Or why are Jesus, Mary, and the disciples all together invited? Where was Joseph? You wondered that. Where was Joseph? I, I have to believe that by the time Jesus' public ministry came about in the 30 years between His birth and and now um, that Joseph had passed. But we don't know that, but I wonder that. Why is Mary so concerned about the wine? What's going on there? Why is Jesus apparently rude to His mother? Woman, why do you involve me? (laughs) Um, What did Mary expect Jesus to do? I wonder that. I read this. We know what he ultimately did, but what did she expect him to do? It's an interesting question. And why did Jesus say one thing and then do another? Right? He said, why are you involving me? Okay, I'm going to get this thing done anyway. You know what, What's going on there? I read this simple story, and yet it, it raises some questions. I don't know the answer to all, all of these questions at all, but I, I will say that looking at the details of Kind of what's happening, at least helps bring a few things to light. I can't do this without the help of a map. It's been weeks since I put a map on the screen. If you know me, you know I love maps. So, uh, I, but honestly, I think this, even looking at this event on a map, helps. So we've got John chapter 1, right after the introduction, the prologue, verses 1 through 18, verses 19 through 42 describe three days. In the life of Jesus, and I believe these are literal, legitimate. This day, then the next day, and then the next day, because look at verse 19. We've got uh, of John chapter one. We've got John um, out in this place called Bethany, beyond the Jordan, which we know where that is. It's about 30 miles down at the bottom of the hill from Jerusalem, right there beside the Jordan River, just to the north of where it spills into the Dead Sea. And uh, John is there, and You've got people, Pharisees, teachers of the law, coming out of Jerusalem and going down and asking him questions. That's day one. The next day, verse 29, the next day, John sees Jesus coming toward him, behold the Lamb of God. He baptizes Jesus, so that happens, if you will, on day two, same spot. Then the next day, uh, verse 35, John was there again with two of his disciples. When they saw Jesus passing by, he He again said, look, the Lamb of God, and when the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So what do we have here? We've got days one, two, and three of John's ministry and Jesus being introduced there at Bethany in Jordan. Now look at verse 42 or 43 then the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee finding Philip he said to him follow him follow me and then ultimately Philip goes and finds his friend verse 47 Nathanael approaching who said you know Jesus then describes hey I saw you Nathanael while you were still under this fig tree and and I I know who you are and And uh, Nathaniel then is blown away by that. But these are the events of day four where Jesus leaves Bethany beyond the Jordan. And as it says, he goes up into the region of Galilee. Now, let me go up here because what I want us to see when we get up to Galilee is you've got Nazareth, which is where Jesus was raised, uh, which is about eight miles from a little village called Cana, which is where this wedding is. And about 10 miles away is Capernaum, and then just up around the bend another three or four miles is a place called Bethsaida, which is where a number of the disciples were from. I guess I show you this. I chose to show you this just so you can see. You know, this is not a large area. This is about a 20, 25-mile radius, and these were some pretty smaller villages like Cana and fishing villages. These people knew each other. Probably. And so, for the disciples who are from this area to be invited to this wedding, for Jesus to be invited to this wedding, it kind of all makes sense. And in fact, to answer one of the questions why did Mary feel responsible? A lot of commentators really think this might have been even a family wedding, or, you know, where Mary really, instead of just being there as a guest, you can almost kind of feel her having some sense of responsibility i'll add one other interesting detail is this conversation that jesus has with nathaniel right at the end of chapter 1 where he says hey nathaniel you're going to see some some things greater than the fact that i knew who you were under that tree it's interesting because if you look at john 21 i won't turn you there but in john 21 it indicates that nathaniel is from guess where this little village called Cana in Galilee. So that was Nathanael's hometown. So everything just kind of uh, comes together here in Cana, and we read of these events. So what's going on? That's kind of what we read in these 12 verses or 10 verses, really, of the account. But what I want us to see this morning is kind of what's really going on, all right? You've got what's going on, the lower story, the things that are happening in real time. But then we have what's really going on because what we see isn't all that's happening. There is a lot, in fact, more than you might even think (laughs) happening in this story. And I want to take you first to verse 11 because John is really good at helping us understand why he's writing things. And he kind of gives a summary in verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee at this wedding. Was the first of the signs, I'll get back to that word in a minute. The first of the signs through which Jesus revealed what? What does the Bible say? Revealed His glory. Hmm. You know, it's easy to read over that, but that's a key word here. Jesus is revealing His glory. Through these events. You know what, events? You know, you go back to John 1 and verse 14 as John is describing why Jesus came, and he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. That's a big deal for John. John wants us to see the glory of Jesus, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the father full of grace and truth this word glory when you google glory and you pull up some images what what is glory what does it mean it's greater beauty and splendor it's something marked by beauty or resplendence Praise, honor, distinction, extended by common consent. And, and these images that kind of support that are like, you know, the, the sunburst rays or a beautiful sunset. This is obviously over some clouds, perhaps taken, you know, up above from an airplane. I don't know. But that, that picture kind of reveals glory. It's interesting also, if you look at artwork that portrays Jesus. You know what you see over and over again? You see this kind of resplendent glory that artists are trying to capture. These bursts of sun rays. This is, this is an, a, a thousand-year painting. This was painted back in, I think, 1100 uh, A.D., a thousand years ago. And what do you see in a lot of this artwork of, of the apostles and of Jesus in this case? You see this... this halo or this circle around their head. That's all a, an artistic rendition or trying to capture the glory of Jesus. And yet, here we are in this wedding, in this simple village, in an obscure, out-of-the-way place that, quite honestly, we're not even quite sure exactly where Cana is because it really was not a, 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 a big dot on the map. Nazareth is still there and it's, it's thriving and it's huge, but we're not even positive where Cana is. And yet here we have this simple account of Jesus giving some instructions to, uh, you know, to, the, to the master of, of, the, of the event. And yet what happens here? There is the glory of Jesus being revealed to us. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it feels like you've kind of got to lean in a little don't you to really to really see his glory and and how do we see it i would say first of all we see jesus glory revealed through his obedience through his obedience but it's not like he's exactly obedient to his mom is he <laughs> woman why do you involve me i will add that uh, that even from the cross jesus calls mary woman but clearly in that event, he's not in any way being disrespectful. I I think this is one of the terms, maybe even of endearment, that Jesus would have used for his mother. So we tend to put a very rude and almost negative spin on his response, but I don't think it has to be read that way. Woman, why do you involve me? But we do see here that he's not doing what his mom tells him to do, and yet he is doing, you get a clear sense, he's doing what his heavenly father is telling him to do. In fact, John Piper said this, "We see the glory of an obedient son. Part of Jesus' glory is his radical freedom from family partiality and his radical allegiance to his father in heaven. We have seen his glory again, John 1:14, "Glory of the one and only son" of the Father or from the Father. Jesus is clearly doing and tuned in to what God the Father would have him do in this situation, not just what his mom wants him to do. We also see Jesus' glory revealed through his capacity to create. I mean, my goodness, if we had been there and saw this happen, that water had been turned to the most amazing wine ever on this earth, we would have said, okay, there's something going on here. And, and Jesus has the capacity to create. Jesus' glory is also revealed through, here you go, his generous provision of abundant betterness. All right, I made that word up. But write it down. His generous provision of abundant betterness. I want us to pay attention to this. Jesus is better. He is better in what He provides for us in the way He calls us to live in what He does in our hearts. Jesus is better, and there is this generous provision of abundant betterness. A commentator by the name of Marianne Thompson, who, by the way, I had her for class 30 years ago in seminary, so I know her. I took her for a class on John, in fact, but this is out of her commentary that says this sign performed here at Cana, bears witness to Jesus as the one who brings the rich fullness of the messianic age. Wow. What Jesus is inaugurating here is the rich fullness of His kingdom come into this world. Jesus' glory is revealed not just in His sheer power to create, but in the generous provision of superior wine for the wedding feast, the glory that is revealed here remains decidedly hidden, unobtrusive, embodied in a human being and unseen by most of those at the wedding. It is to see the revelation of heavenly glory in and through the act of Jesus providing plentiful choice wine for the celebration of the wedding. He is the host who provides abundantly. We see that. In fact, this goes back to chapter 1, verse 16, where John wrote again in the introduction, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. I'm going to ask, given, I'm going to ask, do you know the fullness of Jesus? Have you experienced his abundant provision of amazing betterness? In your life, that's why He came to provide for us that. And His glory is revealed also. I'm going to point out one other aspect. As I was talking with Pastor Don about this earlier this week, he pointed something out to me that that really struck me. That we see the glory of Jesus shining as He shines the light on somebody else. You see that in this story? who is it that gets the real credit? Who's the hero in this story? Is it Jesus? He's kind of behind the scenes, isn't it? He just does this simple little quiet act and yet the master of the event, the host of the event, when he tastes this wine, he immediately goes to who? The groom, right? He goes up to the groom and he says, what did you do? This is amazing. And the groom is the guy that gets all the glory in this story. And it was actually the groom that messed up the best, the worst, the most, the horriblest. It was the groom that let the wine run out. That's why the, the host, he goes and he says, you know, typically the groom, you know, does this and, and saves the, you know, the worst for last, what that says to us is that it was the groom's responsibility to pull this thing off. And he didn't do it well. They ran out what seems to be probably fairly early in the wedding. And these weddings sometimes could go on for days, the ceremonies. And yet Jesus in his glory is shining the light on somebody else. I submit to you that reveals his glory his obedience, his providing something that's luxurious and abundantly better, his shining the light. And I'm going to say this too. The fact that John gives us this account, this simple little story, and the way he tells it undoubtedly points us to the cross and the resurrection. I I told you I'd mentioned a moment ago that John calls all of this what? a sign. What do signs do? They point to what's ahead. The the reality is not in the sign itself. It is in what it is pointing ahead to. Yesterday, uh, my wife and I and our daughter, we had gone for for the weekend over to see my oldest daughter, Maddie, over at a college in Ohio, a place called Cedarville. And we drove home yesterday. It's typically about a six or a six and a half hour drive. Yesterday, it was a little longer than that. If you weren't on the roads yesterday, be thankful. It was a mess. And there's a sign that I passed, I'm gonna tell you probably 200, 300 times yesterday. And this is a sign that generally you just ignore. You don't even pay attention to it because on most days, it doesn't mean a thing. On a 70 degree, 80 degree summer day, you're not going to even notice this sign, but I saw this sign about two or three hundred times yesterday. That's a guess. And you know what the sign says? Bridge freezes before road. It was 32 degrees. It was snowing. It was right on that line, you know, where you could have some, some you know, wet concrete, you know, blacktop road. But I'm going to tell you, every time I saw that sign, you know what I did? I slowed down. I, I I just took it a little careful, a little, because I realized that reminded me every time, slow down just a little bit. Because you might have been driving on road that was not icy, but you hit this bridge and it's going to ice up before the road. Signs undoubtedly point us to something. And and what is Jesus doing? Why is this a sign? You might not have seen these things, but I'm going to try to point out what I really see going on. I think it's interesting. Literally, yes, this was the third day from when they left Judah and Judea and went up to Galilee. But you know what? I think there's a sign in that too. What happened on the third day, church? Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. Jesus provided us with amazing life and his awesome, abundant betterness. Do you think it's a mistake that John introduced this story with with these words, on the third day? I don't think so. In fact, that's why I think he, in the previous chapter, kept saying, the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and on the third day. You don't catch that when you read that, but I believe that's clearly what's going on. Another phrase, look at verse 4. He says, my hour has not yet come. Did you catch that? My hour, you know, throughout the gospel, hour is the initially secret but gradually revealed center of every story in John. Write that one down. My hour is the initially gr- uh, secret but gradually revealed Bottom line, center of every story John tells us. He is constantly pointing us to the hour of Jesus, which is the cross. It's the crux of the gospel story as a whole and of each story in it particular. And it is the key to the right understanding of every story. So as we make our way through John this year, we're going to be looking for the cross in every story. Because they are all signs pointing us. You know, my hour. So they were seeking to arrest him, John 7. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Or chapter 8. No one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Or John 12, 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Or chapter 12, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. All of these things are pointing us to the cross. And I'm going to show us what I think is one more sign. Six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for what? Ceremonial washing. Not These were not drinking pots. This was water that was used and not just to wash your hands. This was ceremonial for Hundreds of years, they they thought that this was just kind of something you did. You dipped your hand in the water or you poured it over your hands. Not to really clean them, but just to kind of give the semblance of clean. I don't think it's a small fact that Jesus used water out of ceremonial cleansing jars to put in those jars the wine that ultimately points us to His blood. This simple story is the first of seven signs that John gives us, showing us the glory of Jesus, pointing us to the glory of the cross and the resurrection. I believe, well, I know John said, it is written, I write these things, that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. See, church, this is where it comes home. This is why we read these things. This is what is to happen in our lives that by believing, we will experience life in His name. You see, Jesus wants to pour or create His generous provision of abundant betterness in your heart right now. This is a moment in time. Just as John and the other apostles lived this moment of time that could have just rolled by with such obscurity where they didn't even pay attention. Wasn't that interesting? And yet, John leaned in. He saw what was going on here. And what did he do? He believed. He believed who Jesus was. I invite you to lean in. He wants to purify you and cleanse you of all of your sin, not just through some ceremonial cleansing, but through his blood. And he wants to fill you with the power that you need to face whatever you are going through today. Here's the bottom line. Here's the point. And honestly, this is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure. What's the treasure? It's the Holy Spirit of God. It's the abundant provision of His amazing betterness. It is life in His name. It is power to live and face life. We have this treasure in our bodies, these jars of clay, to show that this power comes from God, it doesn't come from us. For you see, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Church, we have Jesus with us today. Amen. He wants to fill us with his generous provision of abundant betterness. Will you let him? Will you open your heart to him? He wants to transform us right here, right now. Wash us of all of our sins. Fill us with, our, with his spirit. Change us from the inside out. Jesus, we humble ourselves before you right now. We thank you that you are with us today and that this simple little account of this wedding in Cana, Lord Jesus, points us to you and your glory and your cross and your resurrection and the fact that you are here with us right now today wanting to perform this very same miracle in our Hearts. Do it, Lord, do it. We open up our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at KingstreetChurch.com or by calling us here at 717 264 4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.